Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 227 of the Motorcycle Men podcast and another interview episode for your listening pleasure. Motorcycle Men podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. For the last 15 years, Scorpion EXO has been dedicated to offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. Some of the world's best helmet and apparel designers spend countless hours developing and testing Scorpion EXO products to ensure that each and every Scorpion EXO helmet and garment will surpass user expectations. So to learn more, go visit scorpionusa.com. Also, Shinko Tires, whether if you are riding a sport bike, a scooter, some sort of off-road bike, a dual sport or a cruiser, a Harley, doesn't matter. Shinko has a tire that will suit your needs and your riding style without breaking your bank account. So if it's time for tires for your bike, think Shinko. Go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and tell them that the Motorcycle Men sent you. The Motorcycle Men podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help out and be part of something that actually makes a difference, donate today to David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. Go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. Links will also be in the show notes. And the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping families of fallen soldiers and making a difference in the lives of those left behind. If you would like to be a part of some great cause, then get some heartfelt miles and go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. All right, it's time to talk about your safety while you're on your bike. Everyone knows that when you're on a bike, you want to dress for the slide and not the ride, you know, because accidents do happen. And, of course, Road Rash does suck. That's why I love the gear from our sponsors over at Tobacco Motorwear. Tobacco is known for making the best-looking riding jeans on the planet. That's because they start with premium fabrics like selvage denim and canvas, and then they add protective elements like comfortable anti-abrasion linings and armor. Now, other brands will make you look kind of like a stormtrooper or like you picked up a pair of those saggy dad jeans from your local Walmart. But tobaccos are so stylish that you are going to want to wear them every time you're on your bike. And even also when you're not riding. They have multiple fits and styles of protective jeans for men and women. So you can find something that matches your style. They also make jackets, vests, and riding shirts. And you've heard me say it before. Time and time again, I love my California riding shirt and my tobacco riding jeans. And I wear them every ride, you know. I just won't ride without them. Not only that, nearly every time I wear them, somebody asks about them. Now, Tobacco believes that the safest gear is the gear you will actually wear. That's why they make products that look good and protect you while you're riding. And tobaccos are made to last and made right here in the USA. So no need to sacrifice style for safety or vice versa. So go check out TobaccoMotorWear.com. That's TobaccoMotorWear.com. And listeners, get all of this. Listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the coupon code MOTOMEN. Your safety is worth it. So get over to TobaccoMotorWear.com right now. Now, it's that time of year, boys and girls. Although it still may be winter, it is the prime time to start planning your rides and events for the spring, summer, and fall months, if you already haven't. 
While there are plenty of huge rallies to attend all over the country like Sturgis, Laconia, Myrtle Beach, and Daytona, there are many other types of endurance events and challenges throughout the year to satisfy your cravings for high mileage and fun. Well, my guest tonight is here to tell us about one such rally that sounds like a lot of fun. And we're here in the V-Twin Cafe, and my guest today is all the way from that sunny downtown city of Baltimore, Maryland, um, Mr. Rick Miller. Rick, how you doing, sir? Hanging in there. How about yourself, Ted? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast. Uh, no problem. Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit about your motorcycle self and what you do? Not your professional life, but your motorcycle life. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted to know what I do for a living. Oh, no. Well, you can tell us that if you want. Well, a uh, little bit about my motorcycle self. Uh, I started to learn as a kid. Uh, neighbor had a mini bike, and I guess that's the first, that's the, uh, you know, the way you get started as a kid is mini bikes. Especially, that's how it always starts, yes. Especially at my, you know, my era of age is being in my 60s. And uh, I, the first motorcycle I ever rode legitimately and learned how to ride on was a high school uh, classmate purchased an original KZ1. Wow. <laughs> and, and that's not the motorcycle you ever want to learn how to ride motorcycles <laughs> on. It was it was unnerving how fast that motorcycle was. <laughs> and that was 1974. So Wow, yeah. Uh, might have been 75. But my, my father was one of those individuals, never a motorcycle in my house, not while you're under my roof kind of people. Right. And so... It was after I graduated from college in 1981. I actually purchased my first used motorcycle. It was a 1977 KZ 440, or 400 actually, I think. And um, I paid 600 bucks for it, and that was how I got addicted. Wow. Uh, um, and I've gone. I don't. I can't. I tried to count them one time. I don't know how many I've had over the years. Right. I tend to keep them until they die. Well, that's good. And yeah, I'm not one of those folks who just turns them over every couple of years. Uh, the current bike is a uh, Concourse 14, which I picked up a couple of years ago after our aging GL1800, which was a Generation One 1800, uh, finally decided to go to the great junkyard in the sky with over 200,000 miles on it. And oh, wow. So, it just couldn't take anymore, huh? Uh, well, it was one of those, the water pump failed, and to get to the water pump, you got to take out the alternator, and to take out the alternator, you, you know the routine. So <laughs> <laughs> You have to disassemble the entire bike. Entire motorcycle to get to it, and it, it had 235,000 miles wow. on it, I believe, or 280, I think it was 218,000 miles on it, and it just wasn't worth it. And there was a whole bunch of other problems, too, like, I had to replace the igniters, and it probably needed uh, all the bushings on the on the entire uh, frame assembly replaced. And it was just more work than it was worth. And some breaker bought it from me and literally broke it into pieces. And I saw them on eBay like two weeks later. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, that must have, that must have broke your heart. No, it really was actually kind of. I knew what he was going to do, and it didn't it didn't bother me much because it, the parts were still good, like the body parts, and that's the expensive stuff is the body parts, especially on a Goldwing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the actual bike; it's the plastic. Because um, the only reason I know that is in this, I guess, sort of off track. But in the summer of 2004, my wife and I, and we originally bought the Goldwing to two, ride two up and rally two up. We were on our way back from a event out in Oregon or Washington, and we're riding on our. We were trying to do the Lolo Pass on the on the Goldwing, and on our way to Lolo and just outside of Lewiston, uh, we got sideswiped by a tractor trailer. Oh, and, God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
the the accident we didn't get hurt, but the accident did roughly eight thousand dollars worth of damage, and it was all plastic. Really, all plastic. Oh my god. Yep. No, there was um, there was no mechanical problems. It was just the fairing, the windshield, the saddlebags. The, um, so you hit the deck too, right? No, we did not go down. Oh, really? Good. Wow, that's a good thing. Yeah, it was just a clean side swipe of the right side of the bike, and and everything on the, the right side of the bike just got nailed. So that was kind of an wow. interesting way. And, and we had to ride home. We had to get home. <laughs> Yikes! So. How far from home were you when that happened? Lewiston, Idaho. Oh, we didn't. We had not yet made it to Lolo. Oh my God! <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> and uh, we actually went back to town. It might have been Lewiston or Clarkston. They're across the river from each other. We went back into town, got a hotel, and had to do something to get the bike roadworthy because the, the plastic was just shattered on that side of the bike. Yeah. So out comes the duct tape and the and the zip ties, and it was I guess the weekend or the week of Bike Week in in uh, in Sturgis, and there were a lot of riders on their way to Sturgis who were at the same hotel, and they're all standing around watching me just butcher this bike back together. And I, at one point, I needed a knife because I couldn't get um, something off the off the windshield so I could slap it back together. And next thing I know, there's knives everywhere waiting for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew I was in the right place. Um, but I, there's actually pictures somewhere of the whole the bike all taped up, and we did such a good repair job that when I actually got back to the dealer in Baltimore, they didn't know that the handlebar stem was broken. Really. Yeah, they actually, they replaced everything except the handlebar stem, and it's like, and what had happened was we just cut it off with a hacksaw and jammed in a piece of scrap conduit, and then JB welded it together. Oh, my God. And so from the outside, it looked perfectly normal, but if you looked carefully, you could see that there was this, this huge gap between the instrument cluster and the stem, the company of the riser stem, where you could see the conduit that was jammed inside of it. Um, and you wrote it like that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, the cruise worked. Uh, okay. You know, right. and it, it got us home. <laughs> I guess it does. <laughs> so, so tell uh, us about what you do, though. Oh, well, I was going to let you know that my addiction to long distance started in, well, actually, in 1984, right. I happened to meet one of the original riders in the original Iron Butt Rally, and I wasn't familiar with it at all at the time. Uh, but very small event back in the original years. Yeah. And I ran, and this guy uh, happened to be in the dealer where I was working, where I purchased my motorcycles from. And he just happened to be there and he was talking about how he just rode back from Seattle and he, it took him two days. And I was going like, no, no, it didn't. And it's like, yeah, it took him two days to get from Seattle to State College, Pennsylvania. And it's like, and that was 1984. And that's just insane in my mind. And now yeah. you look at the map and I go like, okay, two days. Yeah, I can do that. But so I sort of, I sort of got addicted early. Yeah. My first saddle sore was fall of 99. And my original IBA number was 8,000 something. I'm not sure anymore because I've completed two IBRs. So I've got a three. Oh, wow. Number. You, yeah. Um, yeah, I did 07, which was called the year without a checkpoint. And then I did 2009, which was probably my favorite of all the Iron Butt rallies they've ever done. Cause that was the one with all the crimes and crime scenes and, and, you know, chasing Billy the Kid and all these gangsters. Did you say crime scenes? Crime scenes, yeah. Go, yeah. It was it was hysterical. It was the, one of the funniest rallies I've ever been in. It was, yeah, you know, the 
It was basically the the bonuses were all criminals oh. or had something to do with criminals. Oh, oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was fun. I mean, it it really was a a, a good time. We had uh, the one of the biggest bonuses on the very first on the leg one was to go to Chappaquiddick to the bridge. No way. Where Ted Kennedy? Wow. Which involved taking I think it was three ferries to get to maybe two, and it was at least two ferries you had to get to to get to the Chappaquiddick Bridge. And then it was a mile, maybe a mile and a half of hard packed sand <laughs> out to the bridge itself. <laughs> wow. Which is which is a blast on a gold wing. Oh, you did that on a gold wing. Yeah, yeah. And of course you have to come back. Yeah, of course. course. Yeah. But well, uh that, that that was one of the funnest rallies I've ever been in. I've someone told me that I've done like fifty, but I don't know if that's true or not. Fifty rallies? Um Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the flag amazing. collection. The flag collection's quite... I had to put up another rope. I've run out of room for flags this past year. You know, you can make a make a quilt out of all of them. I've seen people do that. Yeah. Uh, but I like them. I have a... We have... My wife and I have a cabin out in West Virginia, and there's a fairly substantial shed next to it that has stuff in it. And I actually have... Um, my rally flags hanging from the ceiling in there. And so there are currently one, two, three, four, five different ropes full of flags. And I'm going to have to add a sixth rope because I got one this past fall and I have no place to put it. Oh, my God. But uh, I've only done, you know, I know you had Chris Comley on a couple weeks ago and he yeah. did. He's up to like four. I mean, four IBRs. And it's like two is enough for me. But <laughs> this but that's being said, this will be my sixth butt light this summer. So <laughs> <laughs> I am crazy, but not that crazy. Well, you know, everybody has their little vices and necessary evils they want to take part in. I get it. Yeah. And uh, and and this will be the last butt light this summer. And that'll, that'll be their 10th one. And if I've done the math correctly, I've been involved with eight. Uh, six is a rider. One is uh, a co-rally master. Uh, and one, as I look uh, in 2018, I was a bonus. Wow, I was I, I was a bonus. Well, not get, to not to get too off track, but explain yeah. to everybody what a butt light is. Oh, the butt light is a shorter version of the Iron Butt Rally. It's six to eight days, depending on what year it is. Uh, I believe it's seven this time, and it's basically the a, ver, a smaller version of the butt light or the iron butt rally and it's probably the best prep you can ever get for the butt the iron butt rally other than riding in the iron butt rally wow because it's 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 just like the iron butt rally is not 11 one day rallies in a row this is you know two maybe three legs long and each leg is a couple days and you have to manage fatigue and uh sleep cycles and yeah, and all the other things along with uh, doing your regular endurance riding, but it just because normally in a one-day rally you don't manage fatigue; it's not part of the game. Oh, uh, but you got to manage, you know, because there's a, there's whole studies on on uh, performance and uh, how your miles per day dip in the in the middle the middle of the event. Uh, start they start out high, and the long, the more you go, the further they dip, and then they come back up at the end because the adrenaline starts kicking in again. Yeah. Yeah. But the adrenaline in the first two days is just unreal. But that adrenaline just can't keep you going. Yeah. But so it's a, it's a basically just a shorter version of the Iron Butt Rally, and it's set usually in one week. I think this year it runs from a Sunday to a Saturday, mm -hmm. and it's somewhere outside of Kansas City. Can't remember the name of the town right now. Uh, and they and they've got the field is impressive. 
Uh, that's the only word I'm using. I think there's a bunch of us fighting for 97th place. Fighting for 97th place. Yeah, we, we you can look at the list and figure out the top three are. So, so you look at the list and you go like, yeah, that's number one, that's number one, and that's number one. The rest of us are just the fillers. So okay, so you're going to tell us about what you actually do motorcycle wise related. What I do motorcycle wise, um, well, uh, besides being a rider, I am the rally master for the Mason Dixon. 2020 endurance rally ah yeah there we are and then that's and that's what we're here to talk about the mason dixon 2020 why don't you tell us now about the mason dixon 2020 we've been around since 2000 so this coming spring will be the 21st mason dixon 2020 wow we started it started a, a little bit of background in the history is there was a rally that was in hagerstown maryland called the capital 1000 and it ran every I think it was the second weekend in June every year, and it ran for several years in a row. Okay. And at that point, because I knew to the field, to, you know, to the to sport, I signed up. And I'd signed up for the rally along with a whole bunch of other people. And the rally master just canceled the event with like four weeks to go. And it was like, well, we already got our leave approved and we got hotel reservations. What are we going to do? And I think about 25 of us or so, basically via email, because it was way back in the air of the day, decided we're going to do something we don't know what. Wow. Because we already had, you know, everybody had the time booked off because you, you just did. So we tried to make it a social event. Mm -hmm. and we tried and carried, my wife, Jean, and I have carried that social feeling forward, especially the Friday night part. Right. Uh, since then, because it's more of a let's sit down. We haven't seen each other in a year, and, and at that point, people hadn't met ever, in some cases. And we, so we tried to put together like a basically a, a one day mini rally with 20 bonus locations above the Mason Dixon line and 20 below the Mason Dixon line, because the hotel actually sat on the Mason Dixon line. Oh, see that that makes sense now. And. Uh, that that plan was the plan, and it didn't really come to fruition. But we still had a good time, and there were 25 of us. And for about three weeks, we held the world's record for the world's largest group saddle sore ride. Oh, really? Wow, cool. Yeah, for about three weeks. Oh, okay. And then, and it got shattered by Team Strange, who put like 400 through it. Oh, jeez. And I think the current record's close to 600 which was uh, the Red Wing 19 Memorial Ride in, I want to say that was 2009. In maybe May of 2009, they, they had a, a huge, it was down in Virginia, a huge Memorial Ride, Saddle Store 1000, raising money for the uh, survivors, widows and orphans of the, I think it was, I want to say it was a Marine group or it was a Navy group called the Red Wing 19s who uh, went went down. Oh, so, wow. Okay. But they, they put a, I mean, they were, there were hundreds of people there. It was it was just one of the biggest undertakings I have ever seen when it comes to this kind of IBA long distance logistics. Sure. I mean, it's bigger than the the, the party down in uh, in Jacksonville, oh, as far wow. as I can tell, because the amount of riders involved. Yeah. So they did that. That's you know, we held it for about like I said, three weeks, and then the following year, that year when we were sitting around breakfast on Sunday, Jim Young, uh, who is unfortunately uh, not with us anymore, said, you know. There's nothing on the calendar. Let's make this an annual event. Let's do it every year. You know, do something every year. Make it a real. I just dropped my year piece again. Make it a real rally with real bonuses and and so that's what that's what happened. And so in 2001, 
it became a real rally, and in 2020, here we still are. Now, you have to explain something, though, because I was going through everything on on the rules. When I was reading through the rules of the event, mm-hmm. there was a little comment there, something about the suicidal Ural in 2001. Oh, the Ural. Yeah. It's a, it's a Ural. 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 Okay, uh, Paul Pellant. He, I know Paul, yeah. If you haven't had him on your show, you better get him on your I show. I have. I have had him on the show, yes. Okay, I'll have to look that one up because it's... Paul Pelland was preparing for the 2001 Iron Butt Rally. Okay. And he wrote a Ural in the 2001 Iron Butt Rally because he entered the most chronically unreliable motorcycle known to man. And he has some other words. In fact, it's part of his um, talk on, on MS that he's, he ha- he's had a motorcycle with MS, so he knows what he's dealing with oh. <laughs> because he has MS. Right. But he was preparing for the Ironbot Rally by entering his Ural and everything he could think of to see if it was worthy. And his Ural, I think it died in the Gettysburg Battlefield, uh, which was 12 miles away from the finish line. Oh. <laughs> we were Because we were in York, Pennsylvania at that point. Right. And... It, so it just died, and one of the uh, one of our mutual friends had a van trailer, so went over to pick him up, pick yeah. up his bike, and on his way back to the hotel, the entire like, the motorcycle decided it didn't want to be inside of the con- motorcycle anymore, all over the van trailer. So you know, oil, gas, all of it, coolant, everything. Wow, was was on the in. It just like said it went. <laughs> it just vomited inside the trailer, <laughs> and so we decided it was suicidal because it really didn't want to finish the rally. But he actually rode that bike in the Iron Bar rally. So that's amazing. Yeah, I think I may have talked to him about that actually. Yeah, the, it, it's kind of one of those moments of history that you, you'll never forget. Is Opening up the trailer and you go like, oh, that's not good. Because you can see <laughs> fluids dripping out the tailgate before you even pop, drop the gate, you know. That's something. So it sort of became a running joke with Paul about that. And the fact that in 2001, he never officially finished the rally because he didn't. Right. So in 2002, when he came back with something a little more reliable, he, as he finished the rally in 2002, we handed him the 2002 rally book and said, congratulations, You've just finished the 2001 rally. You have about 25 minutes. Go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He didn't think he didn't think it was funny at the time. But, Probably not. But it's not the kind of stuff we do to to people we like. So oh, that's good. Uh, and, and with with regard to the rally now, the, the Mason Dixon 2020, in terms yeah. of uh, miles or time. How, what will a rider can expect a rider to do? Uh, it really depends. Every year we have a theme, All right? And and the theme was originally overlaid just to keep the bonus locations and sort of some cogent groups, right? The first real theme year was diners, and and they were traditional diner car diners, historic structures, sure. um, and they and they were ranged from. Upper New Hampshire and Vermont, all the way down to the Carolinas. Um, I think we actually went outside of Georgia, outside of Atlanta. Right. But there are diner cars literally littering the countryside all over the place. Oh, sure, yeah. And 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 some of them are historic and some of them are new. But we were going for the historic ones. Right. So that was the first sort of like gave us the idea behind themes every year. Every year would have its own theme. Right. So 2003, it was churches. Oh, okay. Uh, churches in high high points. 
uh, high high point locations. Okay. In '04, we played games, so there was a whole bunch of bonuses, and I think the the common nomenclature now is they were in threads, but then they were called combos. But it's the same concept. You have a bunch of bonuses that are all linked together somehow, and if you get them all, you get more points. Right. So we had one that was you know like football. You go visit a football stadium. There was another one with baseball. It was a bunch of minor league ballparks, and we. So that was all knitted together, and that year's rally shirt was a uh, baseball jersey. Oh, cool! Uh, so, so we would try to tie it all together, and so every year, one year was lighthouses, and it was mostly lighthouses over the Atlantic coast, and of course, Lake Ontario, because where else would you want to be? <laughs> so, so, so there's you know, and so there was that going on, and there was a couple landlocked lighthouses we had thrown in that people just don't realize that there are land there are lighthouses in the middle of nowhere for no real reason, but they're there. And, you know, so every year has had its own theme. So the rider mileage varies. The hours we ride tend to be a ride around 33. And that's for a couple of years, we tried a two day event, but we just didn't get enough interest to continue it. But we had a one day event, a two day event, and the one day event was really like 30 hours and the two day event was 48. And we just didn't have enough interest to keep the 48 hour going. Right. But for the 48, I mean, you can ride a heck of a long way in, in a day. Yeah, yeah. Starting... Yeah, uh, uh, the the I think it was the last year, the second last year we did it. The the furthest anybody got was um, Norfolk, Nebraska. Oh, jeez. Which is the hometown of Johnny, which is the hometown of Johnny Carson, and wow. they had to make a purchase from the Johnny Carson Museum. So you had to get there while it was open. Wow. <laughs> and then get and then get back oh, in time. Wow. We've had riders go. All the way up to Radisson, Quebec, which is the end of that private road where the hydro station is. Uh, we've had riders go into, well, Quaddy Head in Eastport, Maine, which is the end of the road up there on the coast. Yeah. The the lower keys. No, the upper keys. Oh, really? Key, it's like Key Largo. Key, yeah. Key Largo area, yeah. Okay. Actually, it was two keys down from Largo. There was a, there's a hurricane marker. And that was used... Um, couple bars down there have been used over the years because they're just funny yeah but the the but that was back in that era and we've we're back to the 33 hour ish and i say ish because it varies if there's penalties or not right but roughly it's 33 hours and saturday morning you you, you leave and you're back sunday mid-afternoon and have dinner sunday night but it depends on the theme and the where we are right some We've routinely had riders over 1,400 miles. We've never had anybody really over, I don't think anybody's been really over 2,000 a couple times, but it's okay. happened. Right. Uh, but at the other end of the spectrum, um, in 2012, I believe it was, the winner was like three miles over the minimum. Three miles over the minimum? Minimum mileage requirement. They were like three miles. Oh, there is a, there's a minimum mileage requirement for those. So there was that year. Oh, okay. They, they, they did, like I said, every year is slightly different. There's okay. always a minimum requirement of some kind. Uh, that year was a mileage minimum. This uh, the, 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 the last year it was you had to get a specific bonus of some type before you'd be considered a finisher. Oh, okay. Uh, but with, always, with the exception of one year, we go to Fortean Town Gap. That's a that's like a mandatory bonus. You have to go to Fortean Town Gap National Cemetery, um, and that's where Jim Young is is buried. Um, and so we, we every year we go there and pay our respects. All right. Hoping to continue that tradition even after you know into the well into the future. Awesome. Now, what's the theme for the 2020 event? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you chuckle before you talk is kind of frightening. Um, Well, let's just say that last year we did leftovers. And 
Leftovers were all the bonuses that we've accumulated over the years yeah. that were deemed unused or not enough people visited or we just forgot to put them in a rally book. Okay. Uh, they were they were edited for content okay. over the years and they were put together or they were or they were locations that were that were screwed up somehow where for instance it moved the directions were, I was wrong the rally book was wrong and nobody could find it. Right. So I I went out and found them again and made sure that they were right. But the big one was last year was there was a from 2004 there was a, a group N it was called the Group N bonus, and it was basically taking Pennsylvania, dividing it in half vertically. So there was a, a east half and a west half. Then you had to go from one bonus location on the one side of that line to a bonus location on the other side of that line, and back and forth a total of five times until you were landed in Maryland for the fifth time, and you had to get them in in sequence. Oh, and nobody did it back in 2004. So. Last year, it was worth so many points, like everybody did it, because no one did it before. Uh, this year will be our, we're calling it the greatest hits. Um, it's all the good stuff, all the fun stuff, the memorable stuff, the stuff that people are still mad about after all these years. Ah, that's like a recap ride almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and some of the places are just special. Oh, good. There are, there are some places that we have not used in several years that are just, they're, they're just special places. And I've got, what happened was on the, on the, on our Facebook group, I asked a question, what was your favorite bonus location? And there is like 60 responses. Wow. And the one that came up was <laughs> from Chris was 207W. And only because I got it correct, there is a it's there's a um, historic marker adjacent to a bronze tablet in uh, one of the suburbs of Pittsburgh, whose name escapes me right now, but it's called the Bouquet Camp marker, and it involves the Forbes, uh, not the Forbes Road, the uh, assault on Fort Duquesne, which later became Fort Pitt. So this is where they camp uh, on their assault to get ready for their assault on Fort Duquesne. And so there's a historic marker and a bronze tablet, and they are maybe eight feet apart. The bonus was take a picture of the tablet. There's a picture in the rally book of the tablet. I'd say half the field came back with a picture of the historic marker. Right. So it, it, the people who took a picture of the historic marker, and this was like four years ago, are still kind of upset. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and its bonus code was 207W. So it, it, it comes up periodically. So, you know, a couple of people mentioned the original Flight 93 Memorial before the National Park Service took it over, which was in the informal memorial with the gravel lot. I don't know if you ever got to see it. I know where it is, and I've seen pictures of it, yes. Yeah, the hand-planted American flags, and there was um, uh, the, the big sections of uh, storm fencing where people hung memorabilia. In right. fact, one of our hats is actually hanging there. Oh, wow. was hanging on that fence. The couple people said the the we had a wedding as a bonus. They were wedding. You had to go to a wedding to be a wedding guest. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Asking that people to the, crash a wedding. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, that was the bride's suggestion. So I am um, I'm good with that one. Uh, somebody else said the uh, the well the, besides the flight ninety three is there's a white post in the town of White Post, Virginia which was placed by George Washington originally. So people, some people think it's really cool that there's a physical thing you can actually touch right. that George Washington placed. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. When he was back when he was a surveyor, because he was a surveyor before he became a lieutenant and a general in the Continental Army. And, of course, uh, I'm going to skip that one from now. 
the ride over to Deer Island, Maine. I don't know if you ever have ever done that. No. But if you get a chance, there's a little town called Stonington in Maine, which is like 30 miles off Route 1, and it's on the coast. Right. It's a one road in, one road out type ride. Okay. And you go over these spectacular old school suspension bridges. And that was noted a couple times. And somebody said they enjoyed going to Orveston, uh, which is a, another one of these towns. It's in the, that's in the dead middle of Pennsylvania. And it's one paved road in. Loads of dirt roads, but one paved road in. And there is a little town called Orveston. Uh, named for a judge, if I remember correctly. And there is a marker there that's just basically a stone. It says, Welcome to Orveston. That's what they had to take a picture of. <laughs> oh, somebody remembered the, there's a town of Nebraska, Pennsylvania. Years and years and years ago, Team Strange did a grand tour called the uh, I've Been Everywhere, based on the, the Hank Snow song. Okay. Um, yeah. You had to have, it was the, and it was the Hank Snow version, not the Johnny Cash version. Right. Um, because apparently there's a difference in the lyrics. And one of the towns listed is Nebraska in that song. And you were allowed to go to the town of Nebraska. And there is one in Pennsylvania, along with a, um, there's a couple other really, I mean, little dinky Idaho. There's an Idaho, Pennsylvania. I mean, who knew? Right. It, but it's near California <laughs> and Oklahoma. Wow. But the, so that Nebraska was mentioned. It's just outside of Wilkes-Barre in Scranton. There's a little town called Nebraska. And then... We had a bonus in Dildo, uh, Newfoundland, and it was that was sort of a that was we don't do gotcha bonuses, but that was really a gotcha bonus, and I confess it was a gotcha bonus because you had to really look at read the description of the bonus itself, right? And it told you what you had to do, and it had nothing to do with going to Dildo, New, Newfoundland. Oh, that's it funny. Literally had nothing. You had to do something else, and you got the points. And a lot of people didn't even read it; they just ignored it. And and I, and I to be frank, I stole that from Eddie, uh, the late Eddie James, who used to run the when he was well, he ran the Minnesota 1000 and the original Bot Lights. Song. Wow, that's funny. Because he had done that, he had done that once in one of the Minnesota 1000s. He put a bonus in Arizona, in the or in, or New Mexico, and the rallies in Minneapolis. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah, and you know, and it was worth like 13 or 15 points, and everything else is worth hundreds and thousands. So writers just ignored it; they didn't even look at it, and all you had to do was like. Uh, right in like your favorite color and you got the points it, it was that kind of stuff <laughs> but nobody read nobody bothered yeah because you know it was like 15 points i ain't gonna bother with that but the the one that keeps coming back is in 2006 and then again in 2016 it's the only thing we've ever repeated was we used what we called questionable interpretations which were Words that sound dirty but aren't necessarily. Right. Go on. Like the, like <laughs> the town of Intercourse, Pennsylvania. Of course. Coxsackie, New York. Yes. Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. Uh, Dix, North Carolina. And then, and then, of course, there's Unity and, and Burdenhand and Virginville and, and Climax and Short Pump. And I could go on and on and on. And so we developed a whole rally around these questionable sounding words. Right. And and that's come back a couple of times. It's people like the idea that they went from, they went from, was it, there was actually people who did this, a lot of the, the they went from dicks to erect to climax to um, horny town right in a row. And they were all in North, those are all in North Carolina. Oh, that's too um, funny. And, and then of 
and then of course there's uh, there is Uranus uh, or Uranus, depending on your pronunciation. This is true. Uh, of there's there are at least two that I'm aware of uh, scale models of the solar system. One of them is on US one in Maine. It starts at Presque Isle and goes south along Route one, and it's one mile equals one astronomical unit, and it's all to scale. Okay. And so it gives you a really idea how big our solar system is. Yeah. So when you st- so we we drove it, my wife and I did it. We did it from the south. So you start in Holton, Maine, which is where 95 dumps into Canada, and drive north to Presque Isle, and that's where Pluto is. Pluto's in Holton in the uh, visitor center, and you drive for miles, and you see nothing, and all of a sudden, hey, there's Neptune, and then you drive for miles, and all of a sudden there's Uranus, and then you drive for miles, and then there's Saturn, and then you drive for a little bit, and then there's Jupiter, and they drive for a real little bit, and there's Mars, and next thing you know, you're at the outskirts of Presque Isle, and you got Earth. Venus, Mercury, right? Boom, boom, boom. Right. And there's another model of that as well in uh, for at Cornell uh, along the gorges there at, in, in Ithaca, and it's called the Sagan Walk. Okay. Luckily, in both cases, Uranus is in right in front of the Bridgewater Main Town Hall. It might be Bridgewater, it might be Bridgeport, and Uranus is actually on the sidewalk right on one of the main streets in Ithaca. So you can get to both of them on a motorcycle without having to really get off the bike and walk. Now, are these like little models of the planets, or are they just pictures of? Well, the one, the, the Sagan Walk is a it's a monument where they actually have a, a planet. I think they're all about eight inches across. They're all the same size. And it tells you about the planet. There's information like Carl right. Sagan would tell you back in the day on when he when he was you know doing his Cosmos series. Sure. The one in Maine, they are to scale. So Saturn is like nine feet across. Jupiter is, I think, almost 20. Uh, the Earth is about the size of a softball. So it, it really because it's that same scale for everything. So you get the real feeling how big our solar system is. That's but funny. People, people mentioned that one about getting pictures of Uranus. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, so it's all pretty cheeky, kind of fun. Yeah, when you do these things, yeah. Yeah, well, it's got to be. It's yeah. Otherwise, well, sure. yeah, because the the themes do two things, at least for for us. One is they make it interesting for the riders because they got something they're working from, and we usually don't tell you what the theme is. You got to figure it out from the name. You know, questionable interpretations were all the dirty work. Right. The couple years or last year, it was leftovers. We just said it was just a bunch of leftovers. Uh, and we had, uh, you know, the theme was leftovers. Everybody got lunch bags that was marked leftovers and, you know, that kind of stuff. The, the lighthouse here was fairly obvious, but it was usually the logo specific to that year. Uh, last couple, we've been using the regular logo, our regular uh, Mason-Dixon logo. And uh, so the, they do two things. They sort of frame the event, but they also make it interesting for Gene and I because that's we're doing it for two reasons. We're doing it because the writers like to do it. Yeah. And if they don't show up, we don't do it. I mean, it's, it's a real cut and dry thing, you know. Sure. We have a, a break-even point, and if we don't get to the break-even point, we just don't do the event. We're not going to lose. We'll lose a little bit of money, but we're not going to lose our shirts on this. Event. Right. But we've never had to do that, thankfully. But we do have a break-even point. And so it's to keep our interest in it because we know, you know, we had these all laid out. I think it was in at one point we tried to lay out like five in advance. So as you're driving around the countryside or out and about, you would see something would fit a future theme. You would get the information for it. You take your photo, record where it was, mark the local landmarks nearby, 
um, and then get it home and, and stick it into a spreadsheet so for, for use later, right, if at all. Yeah. And, and I guess, I, I don't know if you've had anybody talking about mapping programs, but I tried to make the switch from uh, to, to Basecamp. Yeah. And one of the first things Basecamp does when you load it is it says, oh, I see a GPX file. Let me organize that for you. And, uh, <laughs> no, leave my <laughs> GPX file alone, damn you. It, pretty much. And I actually was screaming at my laptop. And Gene goes, what is wrong with you? I said, it's trying to organize my 16,000 bonus locations. I can't make it stop. They were already organized. They were organized by state. Now it wants to do it again. I literally had uh, folders by, labeled by state with the information. In it. So I could just go, oh, I need, a, I need a Maryland bonus. I'd go to the Maryland folder and just look to find something. Yeah. In case I needed a, to fill in a hole in a map or whatever for, for the purpose of a rally book. Because oh, sometimes, you, you know, you need you have holes and you got to fill them in to make to make uh, to round out the, the bonus list. Sure. I, I do. And so it was just so frustrating because it literally wanted to. Take, I think there were 16,000 or more at that point on that laptop, and he just wanted to organize them all. Oh, we're going to talk about the bonuses and the, and the points in a second here. Uh, okay. But uh, as far as it goes for requirements to be or participate in this event, is there is there any requirements to, to be in it? Like, do you have to, like, do a saddle sore or an IBR before you could do the Mason-Dixon? Nope. Just show up with your money. <laughs> show up with your money. Yeah. Well, actually, you have to register online and, right. pay, the, and pay the man that way. But, uh, no, we actually award we have a special award for first time riders oh okay that sounds and, nice and it's a tradition that i stole from someone else because the very first rally i ever entered as a rider competitively i got top novice and i got this it was it was a piece of plastic and it is still one of the coolest things i've ever gotten you know i've got i've got other stuff but this little piece of plastic that's probably three inches high that says top novice and it's like because it's all downhill from there <laughs> literally you're top you're only novice once and after that you're not ah uh, yeah this is true now as far as it goes for the route now, and yep. the bonus points and and all the, and the bonuses themselves how are they determined oh boy <laughs> oops is that a question i shouldn't have asked well it's a question you can always ask but you may not get the answer you want okay that's what a, you know that's the typical rally master answer is you can ask any question you want you may not get the answer you like but in this case, I, it's pretty, it, it's fairly simple, at least from a viewpoint from afar. There is no route. We, th th there is a, other than meeting the mandatory minimums, whatever they may be. Right. Uh, usually you have to go to Anytown Gap. We're in, we're, we're in Martinsburg, West Virginia, again this year. And you have to go to Anytown Gap, which is on I-81. Martinsburg is on I-81. So you basically just go straight up I-81. You have to visit, there's going to be a specific location you have to go visit. Other than that, and you have to take your rest bonus. And those are basically the minimum requirements to be a finisher in this year's rally. And so the uh, you know, the, the riders will get their, their rally packs. Uh, historically, they get a digital list the Sunday or Monday beforehand of all the bonuses, of, what they, of, of all the bonus locations with an, a code assigned to it their values and when they're available because sometimes things aren't available because they're in a park or I want them to go there only on Sunday and not Saturday. So there's <laughs> restrictions and, and, you know, and I, and I've had, I've had a history of putting a daytime bonus, meaning you have to be there in daylight right next to a nighttime bonus, which means you have to be there after dark, 
right next within blocks of each other. So and and the, of course daylight and night don't overlap. Yeah, no, not not ordinarily they don't. No, we actually tell you what daylight is and we tell you what night is. We make sure those hours don't overlap. They don't even abut each other. There's there's at least at least a half hour to an hour gap between those two times. So if you really want both bonuses, you got to basically wait an hour. So, but there is no, they get the list, they make up their own route, they figure out what they can do given the time parameters, how far they can think they can get and get back in time safely. And, and that's, it's, it's all up to them. There's, the, I, you know, I, I try to avoid the quote winning route theory, I, but it's, it's really hard to do. Every once in a while, the writers are very clever. They're more clever than I will ever be. And they find stuff I didn't see. And... They'll find that, quote, winning route, and then, like, six riders will be on the exact same route, and they're just variations of the same route. Oh, okay. But as far as it goes for the bonuses and the uh, those things right there, you must do a tremendous amount of research to nail those down. It starts usually with a little bit of internet scouting. Yeah. Uh, but I actually made the, the resolution 15 years ago to physically biz- visit every location used. Wow. So I actually go to it. Or it's someone I trust dearly. They've gone to it. They've wrote. They've made the photographs. Because it's more than just I've been here or I saw it on the internet and there it is. It's I want to be able to see what's around the bonus. Yeah. Landmarks. Because we give directions from a landmark. We almost never give you the bonus. With with the exception of things like Orveston, which is still the only thing in town. Yeah. But because that's stone. But we'll give like a directions from a specific landmark to the bonus location. You know, you go to this intersection and then you go two blocks, you know, north and turn left and the bonus will be on your right hand side. And this is what you're looking for. And here's a picture of it. No. So, so it's not completely vague, but almost. And, and sometimes we get really nasty. <laughs> um, and I can thank Leon Begaman for this. He, may have heard of these Leon the Animal Begaman and his Ninja 250s. But he um, he had this brilliant idea the one year to give directions from a bonus location from a crossroad. And the directions were like you went ahead, you went a little bit and you turned left. And you went a little bit more and you turned right. Then you went a bit a little more and then turned left and went like three tenths of a mile and you were at the bonus. Well the bonus was exactly where you started from. <laughs> And because it was a, a left, right, left, most people didn't realize that it was the road curved to the point where it was doubling back at itself and you had to make a right to make the left instead of normally you would just make, you know, two, two lefts and you're coming back. You know, three, <laughs> was it, what is it? It's like a two, two wrongs don't make a right, but yeah. three lefts do. <laughs> and it literally brought them right back to where they started and it took up, it was a good five minute waste of time. Um, and it was pure evil, and I loved every minute of That's it. That's perfect. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> How do you calculate your points, though? I mean, like, does something gets 10,000 points or something gets 15? I mean, what's the determination there? Um, well, that I can share with you. I have this massive formula in a spreadsheet. Okay. It calculates the great circle route between any two points on the planet. <laughs> okay? And I do that for every potential bonus location that'll be in the rally, as well as its proximity to every other bonus location in the rally. So I know how far away it is from the base and how close it is to somebody nearby. And there is a, a formula that I use from that resultant that sort of serves as the base. Right. Uh, okay. That's where we start from. 
and and, and it, it's a nice place to start. And then it's like I, I drop them on a map and I look at them and go like, okay, I want people to go to Pickens, West Virginia, and it's only worth 300 points. I'm going to make it 700 because I want people to go to Pickens because it's a, a great ride. Okay. And literally that's how I do. It's like, okay, I want them to go here. So it's where do you want them to go? What roads do you want them to ride on? Um, oh. So it's not really super scientific. It's just saying, I want them to go here just because. Exactly. Um, <laughs> one of the, one, and, and it can be both for scenic purposes or because it's a cool place. Right. Uh, sometimes I devalue stuff because I don't want people going there at all. There, there was a bonus uh, in 2012 that was worth two hundredths of a point. Really? Yes. Two hundredths of a point. Two hundredths of a point? Two hundredths. <laughs> point zero two. And how many people went for that? One. <laughs> you? <laughs> no. No, no, I didn't have to do that. But um uh but but some of them are like there's this there's this town that doesn't exist. You won't find it on any map. Right. But if you look at Google Street View, you'll see it. It's it, it's a it's it, the the town is gone, but the cemetery is still there. It's in the middle of the woods in Pennsylvania, uh, a little town called Nelsonville. And the Nelsonville Cemetery is there. It's 13 miles of dirt road. Wow. It's a 13-mile stretch of dirt road, and it's not gravel. It's dirt, and it's right in the middle. So it's th- you're riding 13 miles on dirt one way or the other. Uh, if you come and go, you got six and a half miles in, six and a half miles out. And if you do the math using that big, messy formulas, it's not worth a lot of points, but because it is so remote, even the good riders on their quote dirt bikes will struggle to maintain highway speeds on the road because it is a dirt road. It's 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 a time suck too. Yeah, and and especially if you're there after dark in the night, which is usually where it falls in most people's routes when they go, it's not a place you want to get lost. It's kind of creepy because you literally go by a hunting camp and you don't see anything for like five miles so so do the people know that they're these points what the point values are before they even leave yes they, get, they do uh, what what'll happen is like uh the sunday usually the sunday before the rally and the rally's memorial day weekend they'll get a uh, an excel spreadsheet which lists the id what town it's in and how many points it's worth along with when it's available to the rider and so they can do some basic mapping they don't know what they're looking for when they get there, um, except for a couple cases like Nelsonville. Everyone knows it's more than likely the cemetery stuff. But if somebody knows it's, you know, two hundredths of a point, why would they even bother? Because it was right on their way. Oh, because it's on the way. I guess I can see that we would do that. It, yeah. was, it was literally you you dropped off a US 40 and it was right. It was literally in front of a racetrack on US 40. Oh, the theme okay. was racetracks. So it was it, at the front gate of a racetrack and you. Didn't even have to get off the bike to get to it. Oh, okay. It was, it yeah. was feet. It was it was feet from the road surface. <clears throat> oh, wow. And uh, one of my favorite though, time sucks, is Ocean City, Maryland. When you try to you know run through the formulas, it doesn't. It's not worth much because it's not really that far away. It's right. straight line mile. It's not that far away. Not road miles. It's a little further. And riders won't go to Ocean City on a Memorial Day weekend. Oh no, you don't. No, 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 you don't do that. In fact, Jim Owen actually said, "I don't know if you've had Jim Owen on yet." No. But Jim Owen actually said, made the mistake of saying out loud that I would never go to Ocean City, Maryland, for anything less than a million points. So two years later, every bonus location in the entire rally book was east of I-95, including. Several in Ocean City, Maryland, and Virginia Beach, and oh Atlantic City, Jersey, and none of them are worth a million points. So to to 
to, I don't want to say force, but entice riders to take the stinky bait and go to Ocean City, Maryland on a Saturday on Memorial Day weekend. You got to make it worth the points because riders will do anything if you make it worth the points. Sure, yeah. They will do anything for the points. Yeah, but how many riders come out hating you after that? That's their problem. (laughs) (laughs) And they know going in. I mean, all. There's no way a naive person would go into Ocean City, Maryland on Saturday afternoon and not know they're riding into traffic hell. Oh my that's God. just that, that, that's like going to Bike Week on Thursday afternoon in Daytona. Oh you, you know what you're getting into before you get there. You have to. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, they're they're not the writers aren't stupid, right? But they're gullible. Oh, that's too far. Yeah. So, so they're you know we don't try to force anybody to go anywhere, right? With the points, but we want to prod them, tempt their abilities. You know, Gettysburg Battlefield is a beautiful place. It's massive. There's markers everywhere. There's markers for everything you could possibly think of. But Memorial Day weekend, Sunday morning, you're on the clock, and you have to get in and take a picture of the giant book at the coast of trees, and you've got to get from there back to Martinsburg in time. And there is no interstate between Gettysburg and Martinsburg. (laughs) You know, it's us 30, which isn't exactly a vehicle friendly road anymore. Uh, You know, it, wow. You get what you pay for. And, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta willing to be willing to roll the dice that, to try to pick up a Gettysburg bonus or, uh, even a, I I guess some of the other big battlefields aren't quite as populated on Memorial day weekend, but Gettysburg is a zoo. Um, on any big holiday weekend, especially wow. Memorial Day. So pretty much the bonus points and their locations and the route is going to be totally depending upon how psychotic you feel in planning. Yes. Oh, okay. And, or, or how much of a, a of a jerk I want to be. Oh, okay. You know, uh, there was, a, I guess, in the early 2000s, we called it point inflation. A lot of rallies started giving up, like, point. the point values of bonuses got just stupid. Like, millions of points for, for bonuses. So... We decided, what the heck, let's up the game. We took every value we had multiplied it by 1,000. Oh, my God. So, and, and it wasn't like round numbers. It was, there were, you know, if you saw a bonus, it had nine digits, nine actual digits. And nine, they were not ending in three zeros or even oh, six zeros. Funny. They were just numbers. And writers quickly figured out that all they do is look at really the first three, and that's the ones that matter. The rest are just chatter. Yeah. Because, because everything was in the... You know, millions and hundreds of millions points. Why not? Just, why not just do like one, two, three, four through ten points? Just leave it at that. Well, the the weird part about doing something like that is, and and this is a, a, an issue that we run across is we don't want the rallies to be races. And if you make all the bonuses the exact same value, it becomes a race. I see what you're saying. How yeah. many can you get to? And then now you know now safety is out the window. Because you know that you know you're going to need 35 bonuses to score well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. And we don't want that. So the, the, while the one point rally is hysterical, and don't get me wrong, someday I'd love to do a one point rally, but the geography involved would have to be so small. Yeah. And there would have to be hundreds of bonuses to get. So the people are so so people aren't racing around. Uh, you know, they're racing literally a block. That would be hilarious. Are you kidding me? It would me? be absolutely hysterical. Um, this past summer, I was in the Minnesota 1000, which I try to do every couple of years. And at Saturday morning's writer's meeting, they handed out um, a supplemental workbook, a supplemental rally book. And it was one piece of paper. and Or it might have been two pieces of paper. And the one was historic markers, as many as you want. Oh, that's funny. 500 points a piece. And we were in Minnesota, and all of the bonus locations were in Wisconsin or Michigan. And so the, it said historic markers, Wisconsin or Michigan, as many as you want, 500 points a piece. 
And the route I had drawn up Friday night from the Raleigh book wasn't, it was okay. It wasn't great. And I looked at it and said, I quickly pulled my phone out and I Googled how many there were in, in Wisconsin. And I went, well, heck, I could hit, you know, 30 of those and be ahead of what I had planned. And, you know, with the, the, the city of Madison has like 18 historic markers all by itself. So it's a lot of getting on and getting off the bike. Well, you, you, sometimes, yeah. But for the most part, I don't get off the bike to take photos. Unless the bike is required to be in the photo, I can take all my photos from the saddle. Oh, there you um, go. Uh, I, 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 just, just tricks I've learned over the years. You don't get off the bike unless you have to. Yeah. So uh, is the Mason-Dixon 2020 limited to just the Middle Atlantic region, or does it go everywhere? It has historically gone everywhere. We say the Mid-Atlantic sort of give people ge- geography, but uh, the Mid-Atlantic to us is, like I mentioned earlier, everything from Radisson, Quebec, to the... Um, the upper keys oh okay nebraska has been used we had nebraska has been used and gone to the state of nebraska right we had a bonus a couple years ago that was in wyoming no one went <laughs> why it, i don't know it was a one-way bonus i couldn't figure it out it was all you had to do was just go to this one bonus location in wyoming and you were automatically the winner fortunately you were in wyoming <laughs> and, and dinner was waiting for you back in Martinsburg, but that was your problem. You're right. But you'd, want, but you'd win the rally. <laughs> right. If you really wanted to win, you could go all the way to Wyoming. Oh, my was, God. I think it was 1,880 miles one way. Oh, my God. Explain the rules of the rally a little bit um, to give us a little insight as to what people can expect. Well, what we do, we've done, like a lot of uh, rally masters have done over the years, is we adopted, with their permission, the Team Strange Uniform Rules, which covers all the basic operations of of being a responsible rider, yeah, uh, you know, the you know what your motorcycle must have, what endorsements you have to have, and the basic operations and mechanics. And it's actually on their website, and, and we almost everybody uses it. There's no worth reinventing the wheel, right? Um, because they cover almost every contingency you can think of. Um, you know, fuel cell use, uh, what kind of camera you need. I mean, what kind of insurance you got to carry. Um, everything's in there and, and, it, and they've done a bang up job and they keep them current, which is amazing. But what we have done is, uh, myself and a couple other rally masters developed our own, uh, we called it the digital rules for di- using a digital camera. And now we use the same rules for smartphones. Okay. So people can use a smartphone to make their rally submissions as well as using a digital camera because, uh, what happened was Polaroid got phased out, uh, about 2008, 2009. And so we had to do something as a group. And so we came up with these basically digital rules. The images have to be between certain sizes of resolutions. Um, what we basically don't want is that we don't want a war of, um, we don't want a war of cameras when it comes to this stuff. If somebody's sure. willing to drop, you know, several thousand dollars on, I think the latest one I saw was a one gigapixel camera. What? Yes. Wow. You could stand... You know, with a one gigapixel camera, you could stand, and it's, it's like 30 grand. I mean, it's not it's not cheap, but you could stand like a mile away from a bonus and take a photo of it. And that's to, to, to us, we don't want it to become that war. Right. That's because of more of how deep your pocket is. So it's like all the images got to be like eight megapixels or smaller, and almost every cell phone is six, eight, 12. But in that area, we don't want people going crazy with their sizes. We don't want. Because we want people clogging up their bandwidth and using their data up as well when they do submissions. And the other problem is, too, is if your images are way too big, 
when you go to get scored, they take forever to load. Right, sure. And we found out that the hard way, especially when you're dealing with networks and, and you know, because we're all in a wireless network connected together when we're doing scoring and somebody throws up, you know, a 20 megapixel picture in there and all of a sudden the whole network goes, <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> so we have these basic guidelines and how many photos can you submit? How many bad photos? And a bad photo is a photo that's not related to a rally. Can you submit? The answer is none. And it's things like that. It's a little basic, you know, just to keep. And we all abide by these sort of general rules. Uh, and we have set up special email accounts that you can send your digital pictures to. Right. And they okay. get trapped and score. And they get scored before you get back. You don't know the results. You just know you got the picture was submitted. And that's to try to achieve parity between the guys still using uh, a digital camera and the ones using a cell phone. Right. Because if somebody's using a, a cell phone and submits a picture, you tell them their picture was good. The guy with the, the camera doesn't know that until he gets back. Ah, uh, okay. So what do you? So you do prefer people use their cell phones to take pictures? Yes. To be frank, yes. It it, it does two things. It makes scoring so much easier. And that's you'll hear us old timers lament about the old days with Polaroids. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> For this reason, scoring was so much faster. And it was so much faster because a writer would sit down in front of you with a stack of Polaroid pictures and they would be in the order of the rally book. Yeah. Okay. Digital pictures are in the order you collected them. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And then that's not necessarily the order of the rally book. So Jim Owen sat down one year with a stack of about 70 Polaroids. Remember they were a dollar a piece back then. Yeah. Yeah. So he sat down with a stack of about 70 Polaroids. And you would literally go to page one, and you would say, show me, you know, you'd see his entry, you know, as a domino his time. And he would say, okay, show me a picture of the Dick's Monument. And he would show you the picture of the Dick's Monument, and his flag would be in it, and he would turn it over, and you'd go on to the next one. It'd be that fast. You could do, we did 70, he got scored in like 10 minutes. Wow. With 70 photos. But because if you got bad bandwidth, it's going to take you twice as long. Well, that and they're not in that order. They're in the order they were shot, not in the order they appear. So, so that takes, so even if you know you're looking for Sunday morning at 3 a.m., because that's when the, the, the data was recorded, you have to find Sunday morning 3 a.m. by looking through their directory to find the right photo. Oh, I'm surprised that they don't like organize them themselves. We don't want writers manipulating images. Well, I mean, I'm not necessarily manipulating the image as much as submitting them properly or, or maybe even renaming the image file itself so that it's obvious what it is. Uh, it's hard to do in a digital camera. Eh, I guess it is. I guess it could You'd be. have to pop it out, have to have a laptop. Yeah. Um, and all that kind of stuff. The, we, a lot of writers uh, rallies result to a writer's log, which puts things in chronological order. So yeah. it's easier to find them, but it still takes time. Yeah. It just, where if you do the smartphone, you hit the send button, it, it shows up in you know it shows up in the special the rally email box. Um, it, it gets reviewed or it gets stuffed into the writer's scoring folder. That's the picture. And all the, the writer has to do is make sure that they've recorded their time in odometer reading yeah, or, or answer a question if there happened to be one buried in there, and they get the points. Okay. And then when they sit down, the image has already been reviewed. We're just looking at their documentation now. Oh, okay. And if the image is good, it's marked good in their score sheet, and it's done electronically. If it's not good, it's marked bad or denied and why it was denied usually it's a picture of the wrong thing which yeah. is hard to do considering they have a picture of what the right thing looks like right there in the rally book which still astounds me that people get it wrong but there's a little there's a little thumb 
there's a little thumbnail of what you're supposed to take a picture of, and, and people still take a picture of the wrong stuff. Now, in the rules, you mentioned cheating. Um, has there been an issue with cheating in the rally in the past? There is, as far as I know, no one has ever been, no one has ever cheated. Okay. Um, well, what's an example of cheating in the rally? Uh, an example of cheating during a rally is claiming a bonus you, you never visited. That would be the big one. Right. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you go, you find an old photo that you took of that bonus location, you Photoshop in your current flag, and then submit that as legit, and then falsify your log to show that you were there. Hmm. I don't know how they could get away with that, though, because their mileage has to reflect that they went there. You Correct. You, it's very, it's harder to fake it than it is to do it. Yeah. It's sort of like, sort of like going to the moon. Um, as you've heard the people on NASA say, it, w- it was it would be harder to fake going to the moon than it was to actually go to the moon because of the, the you know tens of thousands of people who had to keep a secret. Yeah, of course. So, so it's the same idea that it's it's uh, Leon years ago. Uh, he submitted and it was a, it was kind of a joke. He did it as a joke for one of the grand tours and he submitted digitally manipulated Polaroids. And it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And he submitted the he, he he claimed every bonus in the entire grand tour. And he had a quiz that went with every photo, saying, "Is this real or fake? Tell me if it's real or fake by looking at it." Right. And he then it was a little flabby. You'd lift up, and it, you would tell if it was real or fake. And some of the fake ones were obviously faked, where he would like change the name of a national park. <laughs> He'd have a picture of his motorcycle with the rally flag in front of a national park sign, and then he would superimpose. A, the correct national park sign over the one that was there. Yeah. Oh wow! And it, and it was obviously fake because you know the shadowing wasn't right and that kind of junk. Yeah. But some of them were so good you had no clue he had faked them, and, and it was done in tongue in cheek because everyone says you can't fake Polaroids. That was the uh, thing you can't yeah. fake a Polaroid, and here you, you, know, you fake like 150 of the things. But <laughs> he took all that time to do that. That's that, and that's like... the and that's the point. It took him forever to do it. Yeah. And um. And frankly, he was having fun doing that. And the real thing behind a Grand Tour is going out and riding your motorcycle. So, but it's just the the cheating tends to be the the only cheating I'm I've heard of is things like claiming bonuses you didn't actually do. Right there, it's never come up. But it's it's one of those. It's like the big no no. Yeah. If you read Ron Ayers' book against the, against the wind, yeah, against the wind. What about the 1997 Ironbot Rally? Um, there's a discussion in there about what constitutes cheating because no one, they, they, they were kind of, the sport was still new and no one was familiar with what to do in certain situations. And it became you know, a matter of honesty and ethics. Sure. It's sort of like, sort of like golf. There are yeah. rules and then there are things you don't know what to do with. And that was the first year a rally flag was ever used. Right. So there's this whole discussion about what a rally flag means. And there was one writer who didn't use his rally flag at all. And another writer lost his rally flag during the rally, so the writer who didn't have a rally that wasn't using his rally flag gave it to him. Yeah, that seems wrong, I think. Well, well, back in 1997, there were no rules. Ah, okay. And, you know, and it, it seemed like at the time, when you, in retrospect, it was the right thing to do. Because the one guy wasn't using it, the other guy needed it. Yeah. And, and so there was a whole kerfuffle about that. Uh, there was a couple of kerfuffles about... Um, uh, obtaining like you had to get something from a gift shop somewhere and you had to get a receipt the problem was the writer knew they wouldn't arrive during the time they were open so they called paid for it with a credit card and told them to put it on the stoop with a receipt so is that cheating uh it is now but at the time no one knew yeah no one had thought of doing that before 
Well, I well I know. See, that's debatable now because he actually purchased it and he had the he had to go get it. And, and he did it and he purchased it during the hours it was available. Yeah. But now it would be considered cheating because it, the, the rules have now been written so that you actually have to be there and during that window. Oh, I see. Not just you have to be there and obtain it uh, during, uh, that, during that window. Hey, that's, that's that's almost arguable. <laughs> yeah, well, it was very arguable in the era because there were no rules yeah. regarding it. So, you know, there, there's another one. This is a, a, a butt light story, and I hate to bring up the butt light, but it was a butt light story where there normally what happens is when you find a bonus that's not available to you, you're supposed to do what's called alternate documentation. Mm-hmm. You take a picture of what's there and why you can't get to it. And this was, uh, you know, the chain of rocks bridge that covers the, that goes over the uh, Mississippi River near St. Louis, mm-hmm. the okay. old Route 66 bridge. Okay, all right, yes. Uh, and in the middle of the bridge, well, not quite the middle of the bridge, but near the middle of the bridge is a U.S. 66 shield, and the one side says Illinois, and the other side says Missouri. Right. And the bonus was walk out to the middle of the bridge and take a picture of that shield. No big deal. And it was a 24-hour-a-day bonus. You can get to it any time. Sure. When we got there, and I was there with another rider, we got there at like midnight, and there was a gate, and it was closed on the Illinois uh, on the Illinois side. And there was a sign that said, park closed after dark. So you take a picture of the gate closed gate with your rally flag on it. You take a picture of the sign that says, here are my hours. And then you get a receipt from the, the Unimart that was, or the, the, uh, the, the whatever the little convenience store was there about two miles away to showing you were there at that time. Yeah. And it you know, specifically, you were there at the time and it said it was for 24 hours and you go, you roll. You, that's your ultimate documentation. You were there. It was supposed to be available. It was not available to you. You've got, and you're theoretically supposed to go around to the other gate and show that gate closed as well, uh, which we did as well. Showing, you know, both ends of the bridge were inaccessible. You had a picture of the closed bridge, picture of the closed bridge. So you had three photos and a receipt and you just roll. You just go on. You don't bother. You've actually spent more time doing that than you did act with walking out to the bridge, walking out in the middle of the bridge. Well, right. two riders also arrived there a couple hours after I was there, and they encountered the closed gate. For some reason, they totally forgot, and I guess it was because it was the beginning of day seven of, of the butt light, that there's this alternate documentation that it's actually in the rules. So they said, okay, we got to get this bonus, and it was worth a lot. So one rider volunteered to take both rally flags climb over the gate and walk out into the middle of the bridge. Wow. So, yeah, well, they were cheating and they were, and they confessed to it. They confessed this is what they did. They probably spent an hour trying to get a bonus that should have taken 10 minutes, maybe 20. And, you know, and yes, they were cheating and yes, they paid the penalty for it, but they didn't get like barred forever. Right. Because they, they actually made it harder on themselves than they needed to. This is true. So, so in that case, it's more or less it's 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 a hard and fast rule, but when you're really screwing yourself like that, uh, you got to feel bad for folks. Oh yeah. So what happens yeah. if somebody does cheat and they're caught red-handed? What happens to them? I hope I never get there. Oh but good. Okay. Generally, they they become persona non grata. Oh really? For everybody. No kidding. I mean it. Yeah. Uh, the 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 rally master community is a pretty small group. Yeah. And when something funky happens. Um, and any, and you know, funky in any way, shape, or form, like we, yeah, like uh, the the thing a couple of years ago, somebody tried, thought it would be a great idea to have riders take photos of the entrance gates of military bases. Ooh, yeah, that's a no-no. And yeah, not so much anymore. 
Yeah, you could do that, but not anymore. You can barely take pictures of airport signs anymore without getting accosted by uh, TSA. Sure. So, but when we find that stuff out, we share it with each other. Because it's information somebody else may not have come across before. Right. And so, you know, things like bad behavior gets shared immediately. If, you know, if you have a rider that was, you know, after the rally was over, was just drunk out of their mind and was just behaving like a jerk or worse. Yeah. You know, you, you know, heads up, I see so-and-sos in your rally. Just thought I'd let you know they're an ugly drunk, that kind of stuff. Wow. And and then some of the other stuff is we have what we call what we call local rules. Like a golf course has, you know, local rules where certain things mean certain things right. that are not covered in the uniform you know, USGA rules of golf. Right. And our local rules tend to be things you have to pay attention to and actually read. Uh, several years ago, buried in the local rules was you had to bring a set of fuzzy dice to check in. Like the kind you hang in a car mirror. Right. And some people showed up with their fuzzy dice. Some people didn't. And the people who didn't were sad. They didn't get the points. So you really got to pay attention when you read the rally book. Well, this is actually on the website. It's on the website months ahead of time. In fact, there's stuff on, and I'm not going to share too many secrets, but there's stuff on that webpage right now. Right, yeah. tell you what you need to bring the check in. And I guarantee you that there's going to be some sad riders because they're going to come to check in without their stuff. And there will be stuff available for purchase, but... Right. You know, the joke is that we have stuff available for purchase and all the money that we, you know, you buy it for goes right to we, our, our charity is John Hopkins Children's Center. And sure. all that money goes straight to them. We had uh, the one year you had to bring a, um, a dance partner and the dance partner was defined as a stuffed animal at least 24 inches in length or height. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. And um, and some writers showed up without a dance partner. And because the uh, the rally book was a dance card, the old fashioned yeah dance yeah card yeah, where you, had, you had to do the different dances with different partners. So they had a um, the two a couple of writers didn't show up, but we had stuffed animals they could purchase available to them. One was a giant California raisin, <laughs> and the other was like a four foot long stuffed snake. That would have been funny to see people because what do you get? I mean, a twenty four inch stuffed animal. It's big. I mean, you, you, it's big. It's big. So you're not going to fit that in your in your your bags. No, you're not going to fit that in your bag, and you're not going to fit that. You're not going to be able to put that, uh, which a lot of writers use to take their photos, is they'll hang their flags on the end of a selfie stick. Right. So things like that don't hang well. So what you wind up doing is stuff. You wind up putting it in the luggage rack or on the pillion seat, and every photo has your motorcycle in. That's how you solve the problem. Well, in that particular case, did that stuffed animal have to ride with them the entire event? The bonus is required that your uh, dance partner must appear in the photo. Oh, that's funny. Along with your flag, of course, because you get a rally flag. So you had your flag. So, you know, some writers actually got like a, they, had to get, they found like a clear backpack, mm-hmm. like a dollar store, and they put the backpack on, the, on, the, on, their, on their dance partner, and they put their rally flag inside the backpack. So the rally flag was always on the dance partner. I thought that was a little too much work. I would have just probably, you know, just hung it. You know, I got off the bike. I hung it on the on the bike because I usually just hang my flag on my bike when the bike has to be in the photo and just take my photo. That's what the fuel cell is for, is for hanging flags. Oh, that's too funny. But, but the, yeah, a lot of people were, because you had to do some logistics to figure it out. And, of course, two-up couples both needed a dance partner. So now you advise riders not to start the event with a full tank of gas. Why? Can't tell you. You have to sign up to find out why. Oh, man, that's mean. <laughs> you, have to, you have to find out why. Well, define not a full tank. Half or half or less or three quarters or less? Uh, let's just say you you don't want just the air gap at the top. Oh, my God. Okay. And I, I confess, I actually stole this from two other rally masters, this idea from two other rally masters. And one was brilliant because it was um, a, the bonus was... You had to get a fuel receipt from the city you were in, and it was available only for the first 10 minutes of the rally. 
<laughs> oh, and, my God. Unfortunately, the Raleigh Master didn't specify how much fuel you had to buy. Right. But they said you had to get a fuel receipt. So I put a nickel in my tank because that's all it fit. But I got a fuel receipt. Well, we were we went a little more room than a nickel's worth of gas this, this day and age. Oh, that's too funny. So it's essentially one of those type of bonuses. Oh, okay. So it's only going to be available for a little bit. and it's gonna, You want room. And we don't want people doing what's happened in the past when this is done, which is literally they take the pump off, they, they handle out of the pump, after they scan their credit card, and they put the pump in the trash can and just dump the whatever's required, the dollar or so. Oh, that's crazy. Right into the trash can. So oh, my those, God. Because they have no room in their bike. They're, you know, they're full to the point. You know, other clever riders will actually just buy somebody's receipt from them. Doesn't say you. He doesn't say you have to have you put gas. You have to get a gas receipt. So there's a subtle difference there. I get it. I get it. Now we yeah. talked about some of the bonus locations and and points and stuff like that a little bit. But as far as for, for you, what was one of the most memorable bonus locations you had to go to, or somebody had to go to? Other than the ones mentioned by the riders and the, the group, I have a couple that are my like personal favorites they're like individual ones the um there's a historic marker outside of hagerstown maryland that's blank on one side and i have never seen it before ever but it's literally blank normally they're two-sided they have a view the same in the front and the back sure two different inscriptions well there's one on the front and there's nothing in the back the back is blank and i think that's one of the funniest damn things i've ever seen in my life Wow. So that's kind of a, a personal favorite. But mostly, it. In, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and almost every town in Pennsylvania has some kind of war memorial or honor roll. Right. And they usually date back to at least World War I, uh, or the Great War, depending on, on what how old the monument is. And we have found some of these that have gone back to the French and Indian War. Really? Which predates the Revolutionary War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By a couple decades. And, and so these... these these little towns and Pennsylvania is full of these little towns has these have these historic marker or not historic work, but like a small war memorial where they honor their war dead. And in some cases, it's the honor roll, which were it lists everybody who served. And, and, and they just fascinate me from the aspect of, you know, it's it's Memorial Day weekend. That's the first thing I we drill home. It's Memorial Day weekend. There are going to be people visiting their loved ones or paying respects to our fallen and here are these little towns that you have never heard of you've you know you've seen you may have seen the exit on the on on the turnpike but you've never actually been there i mean here's your chance to see what their relatives and the local citizens have done to honor their war dead when you know it's it just it, sometimes they're just so moving and usually they're just so simple yeah there's one in a little town called rector r-e-c-t-o-r pennsylvania near and it's it gets a crossroad near Latrobe, and it, and there's there's nothing. There's not even a stop sign for it, and there is a marker there. It's a black granite. It's polished, and it lists all the people from the, the little area. And I mean, it's not a big area. All the men who went who served in World War II, and there's gold stars between you know, of course, for all the ones that died. Sure. And you just stand there in front of this monument, and you look you look around you, and you see maybe a dozen houses total. And there's like a hundred names on this marker. Wow. And you, you think like it's like every living man who was able bodied went. That's what you that, that's where your brain goes. This town was a, was nothing but women and children and and grandparents. Wow. During World War II. Because everybody went everybody went to World War. Everybody went to war. And, and it, they take your breath away sometimes. 
Oh, and, imagine. of course, there's, mar- there's markers in towns. that The town doesn't exist, and the marker's still there, of course. Oh, that's interesting. Can you give us a little peek into the 2020 rally? Like, what can riders expect? Lots of curvy roads. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's usually good. Lots of curvy roads. Uh, some blasts from the past. Okay. I, I am not afraid to say that Nelsonville will be making its appearance. It's been a while. Nelsonville was one of my actual personal, like, favorites of all time. I I didn't know... I went to college at Penn State, and if you look at a map of Pennsylvania, and the, the West Branch Susquehanna is the border between Center County and I can't remember what's to the northwest. Right. But that's the border. I think it might be uh, Clearfield County, and that's the border. And if you look at a AAA paper roadmap, there's this little light gray, meaning dirt road, that connects Keating and Carthouse together, and and there's nothing on it, but it's there. And it's always bugged me that there was a road there because there's no towns on it. And Nelsonville's right about dead middle. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and and the funniest part is the Google car has been down that road. Oh, no kidding. Oh, that's too yeah. funny. And you, so you can see the cemetery and, and Google Street View. So, uh, but it, it things like, you know, Nelsonville will be making a return. Yeah. There's several others that people have been mad at me for at least a decade that will be coming back. You know, last year I made up for, I made good on the ones where I screwed up, where I, I had the, the information was wrong, the directions were wrong, things like that. I made yeah. good for those. But this year it's things that riders screwed up on their own uh, and they're still mad about. Oh, okay. Uh, and some of them are st- still mad about them. <laughs> they're mad at themselves. Yeah, well, yeah. But but you they know, need to take it out on somebody, so you're the obvious yeah, choice. Yeah, I'm the obvious choice. Because as a writer myself, I know when I've screwed up. <laughs> and all I can do is hope that somebody, you know, pities me and gives me the points even though I screwed up. Nah, nah, nah. No pity and for anyone. No pity for anyone, even when it's obvious that everyone screwed up. But no, if you all screwed up, it's all equal, right? Well, I guess, yeah. But if it's your fault, that's a totally different thing, then. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my fault being the rally master, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So where does where does the rally start though? It's um, we're in Martinsburg, West Virginia, again, okay. right on a conveniently on I eighty one, and uh, we've been there for I think five years now. Yeah. Same place, uh, right next to State Police Barracks. Can't miss us. <laughs> <laughs> and what time does the rally usually kick off? The morning uh, of the event. Oh yeah. Uh, well, Friday evening is the social event. We have a usually a a, a nice little basic dinner you know nothing special but everyone comes comes to like it and we sit around and we just basically chew the fat because it's been a year since we all got together sure the last time anybody really saw each other was either at the rock and ride or when or in the previous fall at the void which right. are the like the quote local rallies yeah yeah uh, but so that was the really last time you got to see the anybody's people other than being online so there's a lot of it's a social event we don't do any business. We cover some basic, you know, reminders of what not to do and what to do. Yeah. And the, and then the writers are free to, you know, that they have nothing to do. That there's no planning. They've hopefully done all their plan they need to, to do. But like at four o'clock the next morning, they're out there laying their motorcycles up so they can get their rally books at four or five thirty, and then get on the road. And um, now that's on Saturday morning or Sunday morning. It's Saturday morning, and then there's a always a mandatory rest bonus that you have to take and you have to start it between six o'clock in the evening and six o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So you can't just start the rally and take your rest bonus. You have to do some riding and try to 
Uh, the idea is to put the rest bonus somewhere where you would naturally sleep. So basically, you just you're just going to check into a hotel for the night, you know, wherever yeah. it is. Yeah. Oh, you don't have you don't have to. You really don't have to do that. Uh, but it's advisable, know, I would imagine. It's advisable to be comfortable. Uh, numerous writers have actually just booked the hotel for the whole weekend, and they make their rest bonus back at the hotel because there's a uh, there's a sheets about a quarter of a mile away, and you can just go down and get a receipt from the sheets and go back and get a receipt from the sheets. Some writers do that. I, you know, I've taken my rest bonuses on picnic tables outside of a, uh, a subway. You know, you, you do what you have to, and it's a three-hour usually rest bonus, plus or minus. So you can get a good, a decent sleep, and, and that's what we encourage. And then, in that respect, if somebody's taking a rest, going for the rest bonus, when does the rally end the next day? I mean, can could somebody actually just check into a hotel for that and just? You know, sleep to six, seven hours, and then continue the next day. Yes. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Yeah, and that's and some writers do that. Some writers will take six hours off the road because they know they need it. Yeah. I'm one of those, especially in a multi-day event. I know my limits, and my limits are pretty much I need five hours each night. Yeah. To, if I want to pace myself to get to the end, now I can get away with four or maybe one night of three. But if I want to do well, and the key is my multi-day is pacing. Yeah. The end is where you want to be. Yeah. And so you've got to pace, you got to pace your sleep. Yeah. But we end right around, we start ending around lunch on Sunday. The penalty period, if there is one, starts about two mm-hmm. and runs to three. Right. Or starts at 1.30 and runs to 2.30. We do that just to mess with their heads. That's all <laughs> it's for. There's nothing, there's nothing better than starting a rally at 5.45 a.m. Because that just messes with people's heads. Oh, hell yeah. Because it's not 6. It's not 5.30. And then, you you know, if you started at 5, 5.45, you ended at 1.30. Because it's like, how many hours is that? You know, I can't do that math. Well, that's funny. But the idea is we want everybody scored by four. We right. want everything done by four so we can, um, we being staff, have a chance to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and get ready for dinner. And dinner is usually 6, 630. Oh, okay. Now, how many riders can enter the event? This year is an exception to the rule. Normally, it's we try to limit 65-ish. Yeah. And generally, we, we get to that number. But not everybody shows up because life happens. Sure. But, yeah, yeah. Be, but this year uh, being our sp- a special year for us, we actually have the big banquet room at the hotel that we're getting at last year's small banquet room prices, which is nice of the hotel. They didn't have to do that. And uh, so we're going to be limited to, I think, 80. That's still in decent size. And, yeah. and it's more of a logistics issue sure, than it is a sure. size issue. Yeah. When you have, it, it, there's these formulas you need or, you know, some basic math. For every no- X number of writers, you need so many scores. Right. And when the field starts getting big, you need a lot of scores. Jim Bain, when the Cape Fear 1000 was running, he had 14 to 16 scores to handle all his riders. He had, he had like 120 riders. Right. And it took four. And it took all day. I mean, we would start scoring at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and we'd be done about six. Oh wow! And there would be 14 or 16 of us scoring riders. That's amazing. And you literally. You literally would sit down in the seat and score riders for five hours. You know what? A question I didn't ask you, and I want, I want to ask you this now. What's the most common motorcycle in this event? Ooh, brand or actual bike? I, I Yes. Okay. Um, My mind immediately goes to BMW. It's BMW and Honda. They tend to be, there's a lot of gold wings out there. A lot of gold wings. Um, what they are, you know, having owned one of the 1800s, I can tell you, and I, and I had an 1100. So I'm not just, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've done, the, done the gold wings. And the new ones are even better than the, the new, the Gen 3 1800s are even better than the old ones. 
I've yet to ride one, but my God, they look gorgeous. There's a lot of gold wings out there because they're just so freaking comfortable. There's yeah. no way to put it. And they got everything you'll ever need standard. Uh, you don't have to add anything to them. I mean, sure. other than maybe a GPS because you want to be personalized. But you don't add up the radio, intercom, or any of that nonsense. It's right. all there. Yeah. You know, but they have a touring saddle stock. There's no, you don't need to spend 600 bucks on a saddle just to make it comfortable. Their stock headlights are just crazy good. And, then, you know, there's uh, Dale Wilson, also known as War Child, has this, what he calls the lighting, the lighting shootout contest. And every time he's run it, a gold wing won. Yeah, wow. And it's between the, the, the their stock light setup and the fact they've got like a 1600 watt alternator available for, for use on things like extra lights you can just blaze a path a good thousand feet down the road easy have to imagine you get some of the because i'm a harley guy i imagine you do get some harleys in the event oh yeah absolutely there's always harleys uh there's a uh, it's not a really a joke but it's the truth mike kneebone the president of the iron Boat association will mention we're a harley he goes we're a harley club because if you look like i'd say over half the bikes that have ever are members of the iron Boat association are harley riders huh. we're a harley club <laughs> now we just are uh, but when it comes to the actual endurance events, we're more of a BMW club for some reason. Um, and I'm not sure it's because the Starbucks availability or... <laughs> Ooh, that, oh, to, oh, that comment's going to really gonna get some hell from people. Boy, oh boy. I, I had to do it. I, I know. had to do it. The, aside from the, uh, from the Ural, do you ever show and have anybody participate in the event on a completely inappropriate bike for the event? Well, when I first saw Chris ride up on his Sportster, I thought that was completely inappropriate. <laughs> but... In, in his defense, I have seen less appropriate motorcycles. We actually had a couple small scooters. Really? But, yeah, like 250s. We've had those show up. We've, got a, we've had a, uh, a Silver Wing. We've had a couple, uh, you know, the what's the Suzuki one? The uh, Bergman. Um, we've had those show up. They're not, quote, inappropriate because they're freeway legal. But we've had a couple bikes you sort of scratch your head and you look at and you go like, are you sure you know what you're into? But my mind always goes back to, I think it was, but, it was one of the butt lights where Grady, it was, I think it was butt light three. It was in the host, the start, the host headquarters, start and finish, were at a clothing optional resort in Texas. Oh, my God. Yes. No. And then, yes. And then when you had to get, when you came in, you had to go through their check-in procedure. On the clock, you oh, didn't. Your clock did not stop when you got to the gate. Your clock stopped when you got to the scoring, got to the the place that stopped your scoring, which was inside the clothing optional resort. Oh, so no. you had to go through check-in. You had to prove who you were and all this stuff. Even though they saw you a week, you know, a week ago, you still had to go through it all. Right. Uh, a rider, um, his name is Grady Dunham, and I believe he's in the Air Force. He showed up on an R1, and everyone went, "What are you nuts?" I mean, he's riding a full-fledged, full-bore. Super street bike, and it was basically bone stock. I think he had a fuel cell, but that was it. Wow! And he it was like, he was introduced in Grady. What the hell are you thinking of? And on R one uh, Dunham, and, and it was like, um, we saw the finishing results, and we go, okay, that's what he was thinking of. Because I believe he finished second. Really? Yeah. So yeah, you scratch your head, and then you realize that. It's never been about the bike. And yeah. I, I'm a big proponent. It's always about the rider. And the rider is the, the most important thing on that bike. It, you know, there are certain riders like Jim Owen and Wendy Crockett and Eric Jewell and, and even Eric Bray and a, a bunch of other riders who could literally show up in a Vespa and wipe the rest of the field out Wow! just because of their ability to ride. That's awesome. Uh, wow. So it's not about the bike. And I really, I don't even keep track of it. If people ask, I don't keep track of it. 
I know it's part of the ride master registration process that everybody uses. Yeah. It tells you what you're riding. Uh, if you look at what I've registered as a motorcycle and ride master, you'll scratch your head because I was told that my original, if you ever used ride master to sign up, when you sign up, you have to specify what your motorcycle is. You can't leave it blank. So I originally had a 1966 Honda Super Cub 90. And, <laughs> and I was advised by someone much more wiser than myself that some people who don't know you might not realize that's a joke. <laughs> so now I have a Ducati 848, 848 Corsa um, as my registered motorcycle, and it has a 105-mile fuel range. So, But everyone knows at least that's a real motorcycle. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever had anybody show up and they're all set to go and they're all pumped. They got everything they need to go. And then they get their rally book and they look and they go, you know what? Screw this. This is way it. Forget it. And they just don't even start. No, but we've had riders. Real? All good. We've had riders who showed up ready to go and then never left the parking lot. Oops. <laughs> um, yeah, it happens. Um, you know, you know, somebody, I, I, I don't want to point names, but it was a, uh, some BMWs with some electrical gremlins once. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, you, and electric gremlins are the worst. You, you can't chase them down. No, you can't. Absolutely not. And, you know, there's been things like that. Where so, somebody showed up once with a bald front tire. Oh, and... and and called them on. I called them on. Yeah, you, you can't. You got to tomorrow morning. You know, it's too late today. Tomorrow morning, you're going to. I can't remember the name of the local dealer. You're going there, and you're getting a tire replaced. You're not. You're not running the route. You are not in this rally with that tire. And when you get it replaced, come back and see me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That makes makes because there were cords showing. Oh sure. On, That's on stupid. A tire. I mean, it, and and they and they said I didn't think it was really that bad. It must have just happened on the way here, and it it probably did. They're probably real low. It should never get that bad. Right, but and you know, and having been in that situation, they may have lost tire tire pressure and not known it. Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, not every bike has tire pressure monitors on. This is so true. They may they may have been down twenty pounds in that front tire, no idea it was heating up and scrubbing off the middle of the tire. Wow, that's and crazy. Until they got there, uh, because you know, Gene and I were coming back from. Buffalo years ago, and uh, we had stopped somewhere. I think we stopped for gas, and I got off and walked around the bike, and I looked, and I saw a cord down the middle of the rear tire. And when we left the house in Baltimore like three or four days beforehand, there was plenty of tread on the tire. Yeah. It, it turned out we picked up a nail. Oh. And, and uh, there there was literally like 12 pounds of pressure in the tire. But I think that's bad, right? Yeah, that's really bad. And we didn't have, you know, the, the, the well, the new ones do, but the, the Gen 1s didn't have a tire pressure monitor. And those sidewalls are so stiff, it's hard to tell when that tire our rear is flat. Yeah. Because uh, those are 50 profile tires. Sure. So we were near Butler, Pennsylvania, and happened to find a Honda Harley dealer, of all things in the world. That's crazy. I never heard of that. And it happened to be the dealer where Eric Buell got his start as a mechanic. No kidding. Small world. And wow. they happened to have one tire that fit my goal one. And, we, and they replaced it right there on the spot. And yes, it cost a lot of money, mm -hmm. but we were back on the road in like 90 minutes. So I can see it happening. I can see it happening from their view viewpoint. But I, you know, I had to make them go get a tire change, and I don't like doing that. Well, it makes sense, you know. So uh, rumor has it that 2020 rally is going to be the last Mason Dixon. That's not a rumor. That's the truth. It's not. So why is that? Why are you calling it quits? Well. Two real reasons. First off, we've done this. This will be the 21st one. Right. I've been informed by someone, and I can't remember their name right now, but this is the second longest running annual event. No kidding. And the only one that's longer is the Minnesota 1000, 
which started in 1995. So their 25th was last summer. The other thing, and the other reason, I know the Cal 24 has been around since like the 80s, but apparently they skipped a year. There was one year it didn't run for some reason. Uh, and so the Cal 24 is like the granddaddy of them all. And it's almost 40 years old now. We were actually, we actually had, when Jim Bain decided he was no longer going to do the, the Cape Fear 1000 after doing 10 of them, uh, Gene and I were sitting down and said, you know, we got to think about when to close the curtain, yeah. you know, and we said, okay, 20 is a nice round number. Let's do 20 of them. Well, 20 of them was 2019. So that didn't make branding sense. I understand. Yeah. So we'll do one in 2020 so we can end the 2020 in 2020. Okay. And so it's time. Um, it's time for someone with better ideas to come along, grab the weekend, and put something on that's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. What about just passing the baton to somebody else? I, I've seen that done. The Minnesota 1000s that way. Yeah. Uh, that gets passed every like four or five years, a new rally master takes over. And I can see in their case, it has a tradition, as it were. Yeah. Because uh, Team Strange has existed since the early 80s. You're a, we're a one-off event who just puts on this little you know thing every spring and while handing it off has its allure it, it's much cleaner i think from a um, for the for the entire riding world that if somebody knew were to come in and start something different yeah and don't have to worry about any of the baggage that may come with uh, the 2020 brand because there's baggage there good there's good baggage there's good baggage and there's bad baggage but it, they, they wouldn't have to worry about any of that they can they can create their own baggage Sure. So, and that's the, you know, that's the, 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 you know, and after all, I, I really want a Memorial Day weekend off. Can imagine, you know, for 20 years, you 21 years, actually, you've been uh, devoting your, you and your wife, I guess, have been devoting your, your time. And, and hundreds of hours. It's hundreds of hours. Oh, like sure. I, I used to, when the Airbnb magazine was still in publication, I had written a couple columns, and one of them was, you know, sitting around the, the post, the post rally cigar smoke circle. Uh, outside where everybody sits around, smokes cigars and drinks bourbon, asked me, what does it take to put on the rally? I looked him straight in the face and said, you, if you weren't here, I wouldn't be here. For, that's the honest truth. If no, there's I... no riders, I wouldn't, I would be at my Memorial Day weekends free. Sure. And there are very few people who know exactly what it takes to put this, to pull these things off. Sure. Um, it is like right now I'm fretting over a banquet contract. I haven't had to fret over a banquet contract for six years, and this year I got to fret over one. That's crazy. But it, you know, it's the it's you you sweat the big things. The little things tend to take care of themselves. Yeah. But the big things, you know, you got the hotel, boom. And they need more attention. And, you know, you get your you get your sanctioning into the AMA, get that done, boom, and you move on from there. And and there's certain things that got to get done at certain times of the year, like right. the hotel contract is signed in October. For next May, you did those things, and as a, a calendar, like I know that the uh, invitation emails for riders that have pre-qualified to get in, right? We have a group of riders that have pre-qualified so that that the general public doesn't take all the slots because once everyone finds out it's the last one, we want you know there's a certain group of riders who earned their way to the last one, so they get the first shot at it. Right, I understand. That email is going out next week. I don't got a choice. It's got to go out. Yeah, yeah. Because people got to get their leave requests in and all the other junk. Yeah. Because um because I, I know from my job, I'm putting in leave requests for July right now. Oh, because uh, uh, you know you got it's just the nature of the work I'm in. I've sure I've got to get my leave in and approved well ahead of when it happens right understand uh, especially with any any extensive time off more than a day or two and, and for the the mason dixon most people do take at least two days they'll take thursday and friday or friday and then the following tuesday 
so they don't have to travel on, on Memorial Day itself. Right. But a lot of riders, you know, they'll they'll get up bright and early on Friday morning and and have a good time in Memorial Day weekend traffic trying to get uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia, <laughs> and find out exactly swell I sixty six is, and I seventy and I eighty one and all those other main thoroughfares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Gene and I will leave our house in Baltimore at about like 10 on Friday morning. Right. By the time we get to Martinsburg, 90 minutes later, traffic is starting to get a little thick. Yeah. And and we know it's not going to get any better. Not until, not until about midnight. Oh my God. And, and we know that, you know, all these people are coming in from out of town. So Ah. we're there. All right. That's uh, so what's on tap for you after the rally is over. What are you going to do? I'm going to ride some more. Uh, Well, I've got this year. I've signed, I'm going to ride more, uh, uh, more than I already have been. Okay. Um, my big mile year recently was 40,000. Nice. And so, you know, that unfortunately starts costing money with rear tires. Yeah, of course. So, Are you scheduled yourself to participate in any rallies this year? Uh, yes, I've signed up for three already. One, two, three. I've already signed up for three. There will be a fourth fall, signed up for the void again. And there's... I'm on the fence about a couple other ones. It's just a matter of how much... I've got the leave. That's not, not the problem. The problem is being able to take the time off. Yeah. Because some the one of them is out west. Oh, geez. So it, it, okay. it's, you know, it's a one-day rally out west. So it's going to require me to take a week. Yeah, yeah. No matter how you do it. Yeah. What rallies are you in this year? Well, I've, I'm in the Butt Light. Okay. Butt Light 10. That'll be my sixth Butt Light as a rider. And then signed up for the Minnesota 2020. And I only did it as a, um, a favor to uh, the late Eddie James, who decided that in, Minis- in 2010, he would have to do the Minnesota 2010 because that way there would be a Minnesota 2020, and that would piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> so this year is the Minnesota 2020, so right. I signed up for that. Right. Um, and I signed up for Lynn Carey's Rock and Ride. Okay. So, and, and that one's kind of unusual because it's a start anywhere rally. The other ones, you have specific start locations. Right. You have to start, you know, you know the Minnesota, you start at this motorcycle dealer in uh, near St. Paul. You start there. You well, I like the, I like the idea of the starting wherever you want. That's kind of convenient. Though. It's convenient, but it's also a trap. I, it's a I trap? Mean, in, it's a trap. I've been in a couple rallies where it's a, you got, because you got to figure out where to start from. Yeah. It's okay. It's not just, I can start from home. Yeah. yeah. I could start from home. But don't you want to be start next to a convenient place to start, like making sure you're relatively close to the very first bonus you want to obtain? Yeah, it makes sense, I guess. Or the very first bonus you need in a sequence. Yeah. So it's kind of a trap because you got to figure out where to start from. Yeah. Where the other ones, you don't get a choice. That's you start true. here. So it's pretty cut and dried in that aspect. You, you said, I heard you mention the void. Yes. I've always threatened myself with doing the void. But okay. I, I, Do yourself a favor. Yeah. Sign up for the void. If if doing nothing, nothing, I'll sign up for them. They have a mini rally. That's Saturday. I think it's eight hours. Yeah. Sign up for that. Get your feet wet. It's in Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is conveniently on that I ninety five. Yeah. At, at uh, Virginia three, and that's where the hotel is. They use. Uh, it's 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 it's. Um, my wife and I, Gene and I, are plank owners in the rally, uh, which means we rode in the very very first one. We have special shirts to say plank owners, and then uh, Scott Lashier, the rally master, brings out this giant hunk of wood, which has our names, the first riders, our names on it, because there was a mandatory bonus midway through the rally where we had to stop at a, a Harley dealer and get a hunk of flooring, tongue and groove flooring, and sign it. 
and then bring it back for scoring. And then he took the the flooring and assembled it into a floor. Oh, that's pretty cool. It is really cool. And wow. so you can see every rider who was in the very first Lloyd. Oh, that's funny. Um, but it just seems like a pretty cool event. You know, not that not yeah. that the Mason Dixon isn't a cool event. You guys seem like you have a boatload of fun doing it. Yes, we do. <laughs> that's we, good. Yeah, and and you know, we do have a fun time, but Scott is just such a the nicest way to put it, he's a character. Okay. And gregarious I've heard used before. Uh, he's he's a marine. Oh, there you go. Okay, and so there's there's a lot of very loud, very brash, lots of ha ha in your face type stuff that you used to just sit there and smack yourself for fall for first being a sucker to do it. <laughs> military <laughs> humor, that's why. <laughs> it's military humor, and it's and it's it's classic stuff. Yeah. And, it, and this past void was just one of those. You scratched your head and go like, what the hell was he smoking when he thought of this one? Uh, because I think uh, Chris covered it that the, the the twist came right before the rally started where he had uh, he threw in the, he had to get the fast food joints yeah and it's like oh my god my whole plan just went out the window at the last minute because I had to figure out something new um, it wasn't like the you know the historic markers in, in, in Minnesota where you just you know there's a map of them online and you just pointed your you know you went to them and just took pictures of them i took pictures of you know it was a little that was a little simpler because you knew where they were yeah. this was you had to fight here's a list of fast food restaurants you can only use them once you know? <laughs> that's it's crazy great great fun, where though. am i gonna find that one i'm in georgia where am i gonna find myself a popeyes you know it's bojangles country down here i gotta get him on the show talk talk about the, the void that'd be funny salty yeah i guess Scott. yeah oh, he goes by salty oh, okay yeah and i would sign up sign up you ride you will have a blast i bet um, i bet i i i think i saw that you're in uh the garden state yes there's there's always a start location in northeastern pennsylvania somewhere yeah i think he's I think it's, it's as a, far west as it's been as Altoona, but it's generally somewhere along I eighty. So, um, so, so how pe- how can people learn more about the Mason Dixon and get involved? Okay, uh, we have the Facebook group. Okay. You can just search for the Mason Space Dixon Space twenty dash twenty. It'll show up. It's a private group. You need permission That's to keep the spammers out because we made that mistake once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that there's a link to that actually on the uh, our webpage which is masondixon20-20.org. Okay. Um, we are an AMA chartered club. We're totally above board. We actually have an annual meeting. We have officers. Uh, uh, one of our club members says it's the best motor- motorcycle club they've ever been in because we have no dues. <laughs> so you just, you just show up and we have a meeting once a year, and that's the end of the – That's the end of the. end uh, we do our bit to right. keep the AMA happy. I'll tell you, it sounds like a really uh, wonderful rally. I, if I had the uh, – opportunity if i wasn't already busy people are going to get involved you hope now is there a registration fee yes okay and what is that typically about 125 okay uh for a solo rider this year it's going to be a little bit more because we're um planning on having a very very nice finishers banquet because it will be the last finishers banquet right uh we're looking at surf and turf oh nice yeah prime prime rib that kind of stuff We're, we're not we're not kidding around all right. So there's going to be a little more cost involved, and we're basically going to drain the bank account to zero. And all that money is going to go to the riders. We're going to spend it all on the riders. Oh, no kidding. All on the riders. No, though no, we don't raise money per se for the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Right. What, what they do is they have um they have a, every year people give them toys around Christmas. Sure. And so they're yeah. flooded with around Christmas with toys. But the problem is, is in the summer, 
they don't get toys. Right. They're out. And they have these little games they play with the kids who are, who are recovering or out of surgery there at, at Hopkins. And, um, and they call bingo. They play bingo with the kids. And so what they have are special prizes for the kids and their age group appropriate. They have prizes for little kids, prizes for older kids, prizes for teenagers. But they inevitably will run short of something. Right, right. And so usually about the beginning of March, I will get in contact with, with them and say, what's this year's list? What do you need this year? Right. And then they'll send me a list of like maybe six items. And they're all like $10 or less of six items that they need to replenish their supply so they can make get through into the fall when the next round of toys and show up. Sure. And so that's the, the real thing. And you're, you only have to bring one. But most people bring the entire list. Oh, really? Oh, wow, that's pretty yeah. nice. That's very good. It very is generous. really very it's generous. really cool. Oh, um, good. And we we've, we've keep track of what is donated, but not its value, because, you know, it's it's more about what we're doing. Okay, good. Uh, and then we'll have a raffle at the finisher's banquet where we'll do a 50-50 raffle and everybody gets a ticket, you know, and, ha- and you know, we split the money up and half goes automatically to Hopkins and the other half uh, goes goes to the, the winners. But the actual registration fees there to pay for all of the logistics of the rally. Oh, they sure. Yeah, yeah. The, they pay for the, the, the two meals they get served. Right. They pay for uh, all the staff expenses. Cause okay. We don't believe staff should pay for anything. Because they're giving up their time to help us. So, sure. Uh, so we pay for their rooms. Um, it pays for all the rally swag. All right. And we don't. And we have only ever done T-shirts once, and that turned out that T-shirt we did was a camo T-shirt, and it was more expensive than any polo we've ever given. Wow. Um, because no one made a camo T-shirt at that at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were like two mills you get camo T-shirt from. Um, and, but it all goes back into the rally itself. It, it every and this year and we and we have to keep like I think it's two hundred dollars in the checking account. Otherwise, the bank charges us fees. Wow. So we're gonna that and so there's always so there's always like two fifty because there's revolving charges that come through during the year, like the website fees. Sure. And, yeah. You know the a, yeah. the AMA the AMA charter is seventy five dollars, and that's every year. So there's always money over to two hundred dollars in the account. Yeah. But this year, it's that account's going to be zero. All right. There you go. Everything. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have champagne. We're not screwing around. Any last comments or words of wisdom for would be participants or anybody who wants to think about doing this kind of event? Two things. First off, find a rally, sign up, and if you don't want to sign up, at least go visit, see what it's all about. Right. Or sign up to help. And the second one is, and I'm gonna drill this this year is go visit those little out of the way places, those places you've all you know. Get off the main road. Get on the back roads and stop and look at everything. You'd be surprised what's there. Yeah. You'd be, I mean, seriously, you even in the the middle of the pine barrens of New Jersey, there is a marker you cannot believe is there. Yep, I know exactly which one you're talking about too. The, the Karanzamora. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the middle of the pine barrens. Yep. And it's like don't come from that from the east. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Good luck. Unless you're on a quote dirt bike unquote or an ATV or an ATV or or a pony. Yeah, exactly. The last time I was there, they were riding horses through it. A bunch of there was a, there was a. The Icelandic Pony Club was coming through. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and, and so, um, but yeah, go, just get off the main roads. Get on the back roads. Get, and then, you know, I mean, I mean, the back roads that don't have numbers back roads. Yeah, 
Exactly. Um, the little, you know, I grew up in this little itty bitty town in Berks County, and no one would ever be on that road for any reason other than to get from point A to point B. Right. Um, all right. So well, get on the back roads. All right, Rick. Listen, I want to thank you very much for joining me here on a Motorcycle Men podcast and, and telling us all about the Mason Dixon 2020. Uh, it sounds like a boatload of fun. Right, and if I had the time, I would really seriously consider doing it. Come on by. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, you know, like, like I said, Come I'll on. be I'll be in other another part of the country when I, when that's going on. But uh, well, you know, it's not like you'll be at Rolling Thunder and then there happens to be a bonus location on the mall that's available Sunday morning. <laughs> no, I'm certainly not, not going to be there. Not that we've ever done that before. No, you never know. <laughs> no, people actually got Einstein on Sunday morning on Memorial Day Sunday. They actually, you know, the Einstein Memorial's right on Constitution, and they got Einstein. They got in and out before the parade started. Oh, that's funny. That's pretty good. That's always yeah. good for them. Well, again, thank you very much for joining me here. It was absolutely great. You, you're wonderful. Don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you afterwards, uh, okay. and we'll hopefully hear from you again sometime in the near future. All right? Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for your time. Thank you for joining me and Rick Miller here on the Motorcycle Man Podcast, where we learned all about the Mason-Dixon 2020 Rally. You can learn more about the rally by going to mason-dixon20-20.com. A link will be in the show notes and on the Motorcycle Men website. Hey, don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters, YouTubers, bloggers, and vloggers, whose links you will find on our links page. All of these media outlets and many more out there do great things to promote and encourage our sport and passion. So from Tim Buck to Chris the Joker, Justin Shoes, and me, Ted, wrong way, your host. Thanks for listening to the Motorcycle Men Podcast, where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Enjoy your ride, kids. <laughs>